So this is a clumsy, no, this is our first attempt to do a video podcast. And listeners, we might not actually publish the video podcast because we haven't decided the editing, the sound quality, uh, but we're going to give it a go. And if we do publish the video, you can see Max, come on, Max, which is Indy's dog. Yes, he's gorgeous, really. <laughs> Here's his tail, woohoo. Um, Maybe he'll be revealed throughout the episode. What do you mean? <laughs> Max, I haven't yet seen him. Oh, uh, yeah. so uh listeners indy and i are actually in the same city which is just unheard of in the last five years this has never (laughs) happened yeah so we're going to take advantage of this opportunity to do an episode that indy has been kind of itching to do because it's an episode we wanted to put into season three but we decided to end the season quite short uh, not quite short. We ended the season, and Indy was like, "Wait a minute, yeah. there's a P.S. whole PS, PS, yeah, dot dot dot, dot dot dot, yeah, to be revealed today. There's more to say. So Indy wanted to get this last little look at me all over the place. What a mess. Um, this last sort of insight. So we're going to try and do it, and then we're going to talk about um, that and maybe a bit of a rambles as well. Mm. So yeah. Come along the line. I'm, I'm Michael, by the way, and this is being so reimagined. We usually have like funny introductions, don't we? Beep, 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 beep. No. Should we do a, What's a rambly, cl- rambly, rambly, <laughs> but this isn't rambles. <laughs> anyway, we'll yeah. just move on. Boop. All right. So I guess <laughs> one thing which stimulated this conversation we're about to have is uh, we're on the train home. Yeah. We just had some dinner. And then we were talking about, um, I was talking about uh, expectations and and being submissive. I wanted to do things right. Like I don't feel good enough. It was shame, defectiveness. Mm. I don't know if if you can maybe summarize this better. There we go. Yeah, no, that's a good start. It's a great start. So I think (laughs) defectiveness and shame is something we covered in season three, i.e. the idea is that it, it... plays itself out in the submissive and the dom. But if we're focusing on the submissive, the way it plays out is you're surrendering to this idea that you're defective. And we were saying in the train, if that's all that's happening, you'd be depressed (laughs) because you're feeling like you're not good enough and then you've got someone telling you you're not good enough and then it's just, oh, well, I'm just terrible. It feels very one-dimensional. It seems like it's only half the picture. And so then when we bring in something called unrelenting standards, it might help balance it out or understand what is maybe a a dynamic process or an interplay happening. Because the other piece might be unrelenting standards, i.e. if you're feeling defective, often you want to make up for it in some way. So if I'm so bad, I have to, if I deep down feel I'm just like completely broken, I have to make up to it, make up for it by being really good. And so in the BDSM dynamic, dynamic, when you're a sub, you've got a dominant who you're trying to play out these unrelenting standards with. So you're potentially then saying to yourself, I'm going to be the best sub I can. I'm going to prove that I'm good. And so interestingly, there's a psychological process that might be going on of I'm defective, yet I'm also trying the best to be able to 
prove myself. Is that a way to start off? I'm defective and I want to correct that. And the only way I know how to correct that is by listening to someone who seems to know how to correct it, a dom. And so I'm going to do what the dom says and that will make me... It won't correct me because it's going to validate that I that I am defective. Of course you're going to do this for me. You're inferior. But it's, 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 a, it's a weird way of um, trying to resolve that self-belief. Is that making sense? So give me an example. Give me an example of um, something might, you might have done as a sub where... Well, I was approached by a sub recently and he wanted, he has this idea of wanting to um, tend to a lazy alpha. That's his language. So me in the room and he will do everything I say because it's the right thing. It's how it should be. There's a hierarchy and he wants to be able to get me water when I say so. He wants me to Mm. um, not lift a finger and order food, make the food, work hard, because he doesn't believe that alphas should work. So to me, what I'm hearing is it's really helpful for the submissive because it's a very specific about, sorry for the butt, um, it's very specific about what the high standards are and how you should follow them and exactly what you need to do to meet those high standards. So the submissive, yeah, he knows that you're lazy and he's going to follow your instructions because he knows that's, that's what the standard is. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, so, a, there's a standard given and I'm giving the standard. And there's the archetypal form that you would represent for him in some way, hmm. which we've, we've covered as well about the archetypal form. So there's that additional gravitas to the standards, like there might be with a teacher when you're a student. You're like, I want to please this teacher. I want to do hmm. the right thing. Or my parents, I want to make sure I get good marks. So when we're little, this is how it plays out, these unrelenting standards. Mm, yeah. Is I've got to be able to do what my teacher says mm. above and beyond. And I think what's great about using these examples is it elucidates that there's this principle of with these unrelenting standards comes very clear, defined goals or expectations mm. that can be met. Mm. But they're so unrealistic. They can't, they're not sustainable. It's like if we did play this fantasy out, he'd be turning to my every need. That's the fantasy. He'd be working. He'd want to kind of lose friends because then he can give more time to me. So it's not sustainable, you see. I hear that. But I, again, if I'm thinking about the unrelenting standards, he wants to lose friends he wants to break off other parts of himself so that he can more fully focus on this dynamic of I'm defective and I need to make up for it. Yeah. And for you, you've given me instructions of exactly how I can make up for it. And then you will be hopefully approved, approving of that. Mm. Yeah, that's right. If that's what I need to do to be accepted or to have, um, yeah, to, be, to be loved, you say. Yeah. If that's what I have to do, then I am prepared to do that. The vision takes me as far as you need it to take it. So I'll do what you say. Mm. Mm. It's so funny because in season, we're, we're starting to record season four listeners. 
and I'm exploring my dominant side. In a major way. In a major way. Um, but the submissive side of me still exists, but it's, lo- it's, it's lost a bit of power because I used to be all chav, worship, mm. 24-7 was a huge thing. Um, these this high-charged fantasies of, of complete losing oneself in the name of the greater power, massive fantasies of that, it's losing its power, or it's definitely toned down. But partly this conversation that Indy and I came up with happened because when we were eating, I expressed a part of me, um, I like to go into cinema when I, I don't like to, I tend to go into cinematic thought, like referencing in movies and scenes with high intensity feeling. And so I expressed that to Indy saying, in this moment, I feel like this. And I showed her a video on YouTube of a, of a woman pushing away. And that's what shoots in my mind when I feel something. That's how I seem to express it. And then I felt, oh no, I feel complicated. I feel confusing to people. I feel um, unstable. How can someone want to date me mm. knowing that I have this whole other world? And Indy, you were saying... Wow, just when you know someone, and India's known me my whole life, I think. My whole life, yeah, technically. Mm. Um, When you know someone, there's a whole other layer, and I'm like, oh, there is a layer. It feels uh, massive. It feels very big. Do I need to hide this? So anyway, this is the the standard is I shouldn't... And I, I do love this side of me, but it's very easy to say I shouldn't have this way of thinking. It's complicated. I need to be more simple. I need to just be in a restaurant eating and yeah. have a nice flowing conversation. These are the standards. Yeah. I need, oh no, now I want to just meet a guy who's like, do this. That's all you need to do. Just do this. That's what's expected. And you know, and, and that's the right thing to do because doms are very, this is what you need to do. It's the right thing to do. So, so doms are very... So I think what I'm hearing is in your day-to-day life, here's an instance where you've got complexity. No, that I, sophistication, thank you very much. Sophistication. No, complexity. Yeah, yeah, all of these things. And in a way that for you feels like, I'm assuming here, defective. Yes. Yep. I shouldn't be this way. How, how could I be <laughs> loved for this complexity that plays out in cinematic themes when I'm at a restaurant? Mm. Who could ever love this? Yeah. I.e. I'm defective. I.e. in your day-to-day life, you're touching into this sense you have. Let me repeat you because I don't think it's at all. But, you know, for you, this feels like. <gasps> so then your mind gravitates towards, okay, I want a dom because you're in conflicted mind states. Mm. And the conflicted mind states are arising from this sense of being defective and who could ever want this. And so a resolution is to go to the dom where you've got unconflicted mind states because it's that kind of dynamic we've talked about in one, two, all that stuff. But then also you have someone who can give you standards that you have to meet because you have these high standards on yourself. That's another big Mm. part of this. You have these high standards. I shouldn't be this complicated. I shouldn't because all these rules are – that's how we know we have high standards is when we have – Maybe we need to pause and talk about what high, unrelenting high standards are and how they play out because that's a big piece of this, of this conversation. 
So a way of thinking about that is that we have these, because you might think, oh, no, I don't have, but it can come up in in various domains of your life. So for me, I'm a parent, a friend, a dog owner now, uh, you know, whatever. So you've got these different parts of your life, these places you are in um, relation to others. And so usually it's a, I should be a great dog owner. I need to take him for two walks a day. Mm. I need to reach a, research everything I can about dog training and understand. Like I've even gone to the This is how I know I have unrelenting standards is I now have a dog. I have this sentient being and I t- t- need to care for. I took it to the level of I'm now going to study dog. Tra- I'm now actually in the, the first of two years studying dog training. Because you feel that. To have a dog and truly love it, you need to have a set, the right, the correct way of bringing up a dog. Well, I have unrelenting standards on myself on how to be a good dog owner. Yeah. The, okay. the, this isn't the only reason I'm doing this course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and in other aspects of our life. So when we're an employee, how do I be a good employee? Make sure my boss really likes me. I should be this way. I should be that way. It's not just about good workload. It's also I need to appear this certain way. I have to come across with an opinion when there's this meeting, I should have said that, I shouldn't have done that. There's a lot of should, 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 rule, rule, rule. Mm. It's really a big thing with appearance. So that's how unrelenting standards come up as well. I shouldn't have a big belly. My chin is too big. I shouldn't have the. I shouldn't have eaten that cake. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, should, should, shouldn't. Rule, rule, rule. I need to go and do exercise now because I've done, it's just unre- it's unrelenting. It's unrelenting. And then that should, that's a critical voice, that's abstracted into a dom. So that critical, the dom is the critical voice that's saying, yes, you should be on your knees. Yes, you should be giving me money. Yes, you should be. So mm-hmm. we've, we've transferred that critical voice onto a dom or onto religious structures, rules. You know, it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a dom. That's, I mean, that's, it's usually religious structures, the Ten Commandments, the Father Almighty. Mm. <laughs> it's like, mm. So it's it's something which really doesn't I exist. should be a good religious person. I should be mm. a good, yeah, a son. I should be a good, you know, it comes up in all. So it's, and you know that it's not just standards in your life because we all have standards. That's great. It's a healthy thing. You should, you know, you have to go with should. It's, it's important to have aspirational parts of, you know, I want to be a, you know, in, a, in my parenting, I do want to do a good job. That's great. But, you know, it's unrelenting when it just doesn't hold up. It doesn't let up, sorry. It's like it's even where you might have a day, you might have a week where you're doing, you know, reasonably, and then you mess, mess up once. It's seen very much as you hold yourself to account that you should always be perfect, whatever the definition of is as perfect in, in, this, in this aspect of your life. Does that make sense? That you should, that you will never be perfect. That you are always defective. That's how it presents. That's how it presents. Well, it's an unachievable. Yeah. I should be perfect is so unachievable. So yes, you're always going to fall short of that. Hence, feeling defective. I should be a perfect student. I should always get good grades. I should always know the answers to everything all the time. It's very black and white. So just to bring this back into the context of the season three, this is what. Indy and I are, are, are um, proposing in some way as part of the drive of how submissives 
of why submissives want to uh, fall into that dynamic. Partly, it could it could be part of why they want to submit. It's because they can hold an unrelenting standard schema. Is it a schema? Mm. Yeah, which we've discussed in the beginning of the season. What schemas are? Yeah, so the schema I think also does fit with the dominant, and I've been thinking about that. So if we remind ourselves, the dominant, instead of surrendering to the defectiveness schema, displaces their defectiveness onto the submissive. Mm. I.e., when I'm playing the dominant, my slave's the one who's not good enough, who's a slut, who's who's just always falling short of everything and just you can't ever do it right, just fucking just get a hell of yourself. You know, it's like... But really what I'm, what I'm doing as a dominant is I'm displacing my sense of defectiveness of myself onto him or her or them so that I'm not having to experience that. It's a very psychologically protect. I'm protecting myself from having to, I guess, see that reality. Feel that reality. Feel that yeah. reality. And so... What we're saying is that the defectiveness schema and the unrelenting standard schema come together. In the submissive, we've just been describing that. So I surrender to being defective. I also feel like I'm not good enough, so I have to do all these things to prove that actually I am. I've got to make up for it. In the dominant, am I going too fast? No, no, keep going. In the dominant, I'm, you're, you're, you're pathetic. I.e. I'm protecting them because I feel like, actually deep down I feel like I'm that, but you're pathetic means I'm protecting myself. And then I also have unrelenting standards and I'm placing them onto the submissive and making them have to do everything to make themselves better because it's about them being pathetic and them having to prove that they're good enough to me. So I'm completely, I guess, outsourcing mm. my dynamic onto the submissive. So you're pathetic and you have to make up for it. Do you so think... So go and do this and hurry up. You took too long. Mm. If I can do it again, not good enough. Because for me, isn't it, even if I said, as I said that, I feel really safe. I feel like, ah, mm. oh, because it's not me I have to... Because for me, then I'm not in a conflicted state of mind. Because as a dominant, oh, my God, I'm always feeling like, Did, should I have said... Is that... I'm always... And you know this about me. I say to you, I'm fucked up. Or, you know, I don't. As a dominant, like, like when you're talking to someone. No, my daily life. My daily life. <laughs> I'm always feeling like, I, you know, I'm not my parenting. I should have been more. I don't know how much oh. I even say this out loud. I don't no. know. But I'm always feeling like, I don't oh, know. I should, like, I feel bad that I didn't take Max out for a walk this afternoon. I feel terrible. He spent like two hours at the beach this yeah. morning. He ran around like I've never seen. Anyway. So it's yeah, interesting so how. I still feel like, but as a do- <laughs> uh, as a good dog owner I should take him for two walks a day and I failed at that and this is just one example of many within it. oh my house have I cleaned it up enough no you've seen my house it's a complete it's, very good. it's, it's too much it's too much oh my god it's just are you saying Indy <laughs> you okay how are you feeling you're right I'm feeling like what I just said then which was saying a mistake I'm beating myself up for it. Yeah, okay, so it's your... Yeah, so um, I'm in the unrelenting standards right now of I've just made a massive mistake. Why did I do... So when I'm in the dominant role, 
I have reprieve. I don't have to feel any of that anymore because it's all about you and you being pathetic and dumb. So let's focus on that. (laughs) Are you saying that most dominants, if not all, kind of run off this schema? It's a big claim. Good. What schema? The unrelenting standards schema. I'm not saying it's the core reason why people are dominant or submissive, but are you, do you think that most dominance, dominant people actually run from this sort of core schema? Yes, 100%. Or, like all? I don't know. I have no idea. But I'd say that that is a big part of being dominant is that you, that's what you're doing. Yeah. So... Because even... Is, narcissistic people who mm. believe that they are the greatest of mm. inflated egos. Mm. The argument is at their core, they feel the most, um, crippling sense of self-loathing. So Indy's a psychologist. If you for 15 years, I don't know, something like you that. lose count. So, and in your experience, the core, uh, belief system of a narcissist is that they have low self-worth, mm. but it's so deep the layers above that of inflation and ego uh, mania whatnot it's protective it's like yeah deeply protective that they can't even see that but they because i look at doms and i just think wow you are so confident wow like you're it's such an attract it is there's an attraction i have towards dominance who display confidence confidence is a massive allure for people i would say that they display what looks like confidence i'd say it's a shadow form of confidence because yeah, it's, yeah. A re- it's a reaction to or a response against self-loathing that it's almost like a puffed-up, amplified version of... It's not real confidence. I don't think it's... I think it... Yeah, sure, it comes across as self-assured, direct, decisive, strong, in a room, unconflicted. That's all appearances. Well, it is for me when I'm dominant. So as I've taken so this role yeah. of, of dominance, what I've done is I've, I've gathered enough um, of a sense of... Jordan Peterson talks about this. I've gathered enough of a sense of how dominant men and women look and behave. Mm. And I've taken the spirit of that and then displayed that. So an example is children who are in a nursery would, would pretend to be mum and dad. And they don't just copy what dad or mum does, but they have assessed through many exposures to their parents what a dad energy looks like. And it's like, don't do this and don't do that and sit down. And mum is in the kitchen. So me as a, um, as a man, I've watched many dominants and how they behave. And now I'm doing that behaviour. But the consequence, the sacrifice of me being a dominant as I present myself on media is that I'm editing out these big chunks of myself. So I'm dominant. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to swear. I'm going to tell you what to do. Uh, and I have that presentation online. But then I've had to sacrifice huge chunks of my personality, my sensitivities. Um, I, in, in the name of being emotionally uncaring, uh, confident, Mm. um, giving the right standards. So you need to do this, this, and this. And so there's a huge sacrifice Mm. for me in this becoming. So there's something which I've noticed 
Um, it's interesting that you're experiencing it as a sacrifice. You're sacrificing these other parts of yourself. Hmm. Whereas when I'm playing dominant, I feel like I'm having a break from those parts of myself. Because hmm. I step into the dominant role, I'm feeling unconflicted. This is That's cool. how it's feeling. I just want to pause there because I want to gather that. So you're... I, I feel like I'm sacrificing these, this complex... Not complex nature, but sacrificing whole parts of my mm. personality. Mm. And you feel like you're doing what? Having a break. <laughs> Having a break from... Yeah. Okay. So I've, proce- I've processed that. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, because I feel like... Oh, because I think when we were coming back on the train... Mm. I was talking to a, you know, texting with a sub and even just those short little moments of, okay, let me think, what am I going to say? How do I just stepping out? It was almost out of my daily life into this persona. When I'm here, I don't have to worry. I don't have to think, second guess, nothing. It's just, I'm here. It's, I'm in the zone. Mm. That's a, It's a benefit out of that. There's a balance, I guess. You need to have a balance of... A balance? Well, why don't you just stay in that zone continuously? Why don't you just... Because I can't. You get tired and... I don't know. It's just like it's... Mm. it's I've got to switch it on to that. There's positives. Okay, yeah. It's like playing a role. You can only do that for so long. I must say that becoming a dominant, for me, there's something nice about owning um, stuff, like owning confidence and that people actually want to help and do things for me. It's a very abstract... Mm -hmm. It's like, why would you want to get that for me? Why would you want to buy this for me? Like, what? There's a sub that buys me coffees. I have to take a photo of the coffee and he... And I'm like, that's, I, that's insane. Like, I wouldn't do that because I'm very tight with money. <laughs> but that's it's an understatement. Just... <laughs> Help. <laughs> um, but the fact that people... I mean, I'm reading it as care... Part of their behaviour is care and also this, it could be unlearning standards. Yeah. But I also see it as care, like they actually care. They want to make sure that someone else, i.e. me, is taken care of. Mm. And that, for me, is a big, if I'm originally submissive, that's a big, what? I'm meant to be taking care of you because I'm going to take care of myself. That's what I've been doing my whole life, my whole childhood. So when someone says I want to take care of you, no matter what you do, that's a big... So it's for me, it's actually exposing me to that kind of... There are actually people out there who want to do stuff for you and make sure that you're okay. It's like, wow. I'm great. That's good you're getting that. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's good. But I don't want it to exist just in that dynamic because I might never... I don't know if I ever date a sub... But then I need to I need to differentiate that from sub to sedate someone who cares, that kind of thing. Because you can have a dom. The guy I dated recently, he was a dom, and he definitely cared. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not just in and of itself in the dynamic that it can exist. But I think it's also owning uh, my looks. 
So there we go. Now we see what he really looks like. See what I've said this whole time? They know what I look like. They've seen plenty, oh, okay. trust me. Um, but that's something as well, like, that it has power. There's still a huge, like, what? Like, <laughs> I mean, guys, I'm having, I'm, I'm having adult play with them. I don't know why I'm censoring that. And then I'm just in just shock that there's desire. It's a real... I don't get what? that. Why would that be so surprising after 35 a, years <laughs> of... You mean, I mean, not when you were little, but like, you know... How many years? At least That's 15 years of... <laughs> I love this I'm going to still be shocking after Indy 15 gets, years. Indy gets really... <laughs> well, I don't get it. I actually don't. There's two things that I, I'm observing. One is I get attention. That's... That's hands down a fact. There's no inflation of that. Like there is attention and likes and, and I can see why I look a certain way. I, whatever. Yeah. And I know that I'm not perfect for everyone. So people like, what the like, oh, turn it, turn it off. <laughs> that's, that's fine. So I, I know that as a reality. Um, but then at the same time, there's this also like disbelief about it so there's a real there's a hung up belief there that what I think it but it only seems to happen in intimacy one like physically where you have the disbelief where I have the that's where it mainly shows itself yeah well that makes sense because that's more intimate more connected then that probably brings up all of your stuff. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a topic, one other topic that I wanted to bring up, which I, um, we were speaking on the way here. And I just, let's just pause here, Andy, because I'm trying to gather my memory. I know what I wanted to say about it, but I forgot what started it. It was about, um, hmm. Oh, yeah. I showed Indy a video of a submissive. A sub sent me a video. And I, I never do this. I never share content. But it was, you couldn't identify the person. And the person was, had found, the person was being submissive and loving it. And I had a very strong reaction to it. Um... Yeah, you could just see the back of their head, pretty much. And my reaction was like, oh, God, that looks like brainwashing. I get cult vibes. There's a person chanting in the background saying, he's found his place. And I was like, oh, God, I get a lot of um, aversion towards that. Yeah. And you were saying, but I see that as incredible. He found his place. He found his nuances. Yeah, I was just saying he's resourceful. He's found the corner of the world where this might work for him in a really good way. I was watching this exact same thing, having a very, like, oh, good on you. It's very different. But do you know why I had such a big reaction to that? Why? Because there's a part of me which still thinks that there's a place pre-kink. What do you mean a place pre-kink? That there's a place where kink comes out of wounds 
you can heal the wound, then you won't be kinky. Yeah. So there's a you can cure, which is very dangerous. That's a very loaded word. Very loaded. Yeah, yeah, and I'm aware of that. Mm. And I understand the implications of that, but there's a belief there. So what I'm hearing is that you could become aware of things to heal the kink and it would fold, it would unfold, it would unravel? Unravel and you wouldn't feel the need to be subservient or dominant because you would have resolved the unrelenting standard. You would have resolved. Like so, in, so what's bad about that? That sounds great. Because then it pathologizes kink. It says that kink, dominant submission, comes out of wounds. Wounds can be healed. So there's a coping mechanisms for a deep anxiety and therefore get rid of the anxiety, get rid of the kink. Otherwise, if you're participating in kink, then you are entertaining and enabling broken belief systems. Okay, I hear that. And how's that link to being brainwashed or like cult-related stuff? I think that was more the atmosphere of the video. Well, in a sense, the, the culture entrenches or allows the kink to happen. So online, I've been dominant and speaking to subs, keeping them in. Um, a subhead space and I just can't help but think am I actually helping you here I mean it's conscious it's I, I'm safe I'm not going to take advantage but is this actually helping you some people want to be in debt am I here to moralize that or is I'm just going to accept it and do it mm. I think actually you said to that do you remember what you said? What do you want me to... Say it. I don't remember. You said, in a sense, people are on a path. And if you hadn't gone through your dominant path, then you wouldn't have had brought out these different qualities in you, which are, you are finding very helpful now, something like that. You're finding very helpful. Yeah, I think I was saying on, on, an, on a level, I was processing things that I needed to do in a body way, in enacting out this power dynamic. But I was doing it very consciously throughout because we were constantly talking. <laughs> so, and I wouldn't, uh, otherwise it was just this unrelenting, aware of a way, like a kind of this reflective part just never switches, never switches off. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. and we were discussing how that might not be the case for everyone, that it might not be that everyone has this reflective knocking at the door constant. Yeah. Why did you just do what you do from the many different angles that you could look at it? Type of thing. Hmm. The thing is, I don't want to pathologize sex and adventurous play, adventurous sex. I don't want to make it think, well, if the mark of a healthy sex life is if you don't do vanilla, is if you don't do kink, that's wrong. Like, that's completely wrong. But there was a part of me when watching that video just thinking, like, it's the same breath as me saying, 
the my attraction to chavs, the twenty four seven slave fantasy mm. has lost its power, which indicates in some way, if you keep working yourself, if you keep bringing parts of yourself out, then those bigger driving fantasies will lose their power. But aren't there new ones now that's taken their place? Are there? Have you got any other big drives now that have taken its place? No, not as big as that. Mm. Not as big as that. I think that a way of looking at this, uh, I think it's, there's layers of the cake. We've had that example before. There's different, there's different things all going on in parallel. And in one layer, I think there really is some kind of, as humans, we're scarred, we're scarred by life. And these things play out in some way within BDSM. To what degree they're aware or conscious that we're playing these things out and what exactly we're playing out. I mean, we're going to this in so much depth in our podcast to try and understand it. And even then, you know, we don't, I don't think we're, we're only, so I think there's that layer, but then there's of course the layer of just having fun exploring. Mm. That's when I, when I saw this video, my reaction was more of a resourceful, good on you. You found something that you really like and you found somewhere you can do it. You've, you're in touch with some desires enough that you, you're then in a world where you can go and that's great. Like there's desire, there were humans, we have all these different, great, so there's there's different all these different perspectives, mm. and so yeah, it's it's holding them all. And there's not one that's somehow. Yeah, yeah. We can't just focus in on one layer of it. Yeah, it's not seeing the complete picture. Have we done enough in this podcast to look at those other? We've done a few layers: spiritual, mental, symbolic. Season one. Archetypal. There's a lot of stuff we've looked at. And that's why I think I'm continuing to be where I'm at now, which is I do still do BDSM on occasion. And it's more for fun, for role play, for sometimes as well just because I'm, I'm feeling... Um, anyway, I won't go to... I, I still do BDSM, but I'm not as... I don't know. It's not so... because I think I was working for me the path was I was working through I essentially was looking to try and understand power dynamics because I really didn't until I'd been through some really significant power dynamics and not having realized it and then when I came out of a relationship really saw wow these were all the power dynamics playing out I didn't even realize but then it was a shock and I was like if I have to understand this better so that I can never repeat this again. <laughs> that's the dog. Yeah, me. that's the dog. But just go back a step. If... You said you're doing power dynamics now because, um, sorry, like you've just contacted someone hmm? because you're feeling, uh, hmm. so therefore you're going to this um, sexual stuff. My thoughts are, Shouldn't you sit and meditate and sit with the feelings rather than act them out through dominant derogatory? Yeah, I hear that. So I think that there are people who can 
I feel very passionate about this. I think there are some people who can sit with their feelings, that in meditation there can be a degree of mindfulness reached and insight gained or separation or whatever words you want to use to say there's the sensation and I'm in touch with it. In it there's, a, there's conditions that meditation cultivates for some people where this mindfulness can occur. For me, if I'm in this state and I sat in meditation, I do not see that that would be possible. I think that that's why I need to go to the body. A lot of BDSM is so body-based, it's very physical. I find the most times I'm clear is when I'm swimming in a pool or in the ocean or something, when I'm fully in my body. Meditation is such a struggle for me. I've done it for years. There's times, yes, when you can on a retreat and you persist, persist, persist. But again, because I think I have this mind that just constantly... <laughs> it's hard to... I think I think everyone... Yeah, I th- that's, that's my answer to that. Yeah, I fine. think that, yeah, that might be the answer for some people. And great, if it works for you, great. But for me, I find it just is not a place where I... I don't, I have to be in my body, I have to move around, I have to be focused on something more engaging. But it feels at the expense of another. Hmm? Oh, the expense of another? Hmm. Well, how do you know that? That's that's actually, that's projecting your own judgments onto that person. Yeah. You might be right, though. That could be it. But you also are projecting your... Yeah, so I think to re... I think we're done. But to recap, I think this has really been primarily about expanding some of the con- concepts we went through in Season 3 about defectiveness and shame, how they operate in the dominant and the submissive, and adding this layer of unrelenting standards. Mm. And then doing some further exploration, I think, around some of these things that come from mm. playing within BDSM. Yeah. And the conflicted mindsets we might carry about different aspects of it. It's a journey. Mm. It's a journey. Yes. All right, listeners, till next time, take care. <laughs> <laughs>